Welcome to Book Squad Goals, the podcast where we sometimes talk about a book and sometimes talk about other things. Yeah. But this week we're talking about a book. We're talking about Born by Jeff Vandermeer, a novel that came out over the summer. But before we get started, my question for us to introduce ourselves with is, what is your favorite speculative fiction dystopian sci-fi story i listed all these genres because as we will get into later emily and i have so many things to say about genre (laughs) oh yeah i don't even know that's that might be i mean we might just have to hit the tip of the iceberg because i mean i could be here all day yeah yeah a real just the tip situation just the tip just the tip Mm -hmm. just the tip episode hey i'm susan and um, my favorite novel of all time is 1984, so Ooh. that would be my it's favorite dystopian story. But also, two summers ago when I was in London, I saw it, I saw the production of it, um, and it was amazing and bloody and scary, and people were feeling very upset, and I was just like, this is my favorite thing I've ever seen on stage. So mm-hmm. it worked for me on stage and in the book. Long live 1984. I love Big Brother. You love Big Brother, like the television show also? No. Okay. Nope. Just the dangerous one. Right. I didn't think about this question at all today, even though uh, you said it earlier, and I totally forgot to think about it. But I'm going to just say right now. Who are you? Oh, uh, I'm Kelly. <laughs> I think one episode we should all say we're someone else just to see if people are paying attention. I think they probably can't tell us apart. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all just sound like one person who's just talking. It is. It is actually just one person doing all four voices. (laughs) So that I just want to seem like I have friends. (laughs) It's all Emily. Yeah. And she's just editing it really like well to have us all overlap slightly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm Kelly. And since we have to mention Oscar Isaac on the podcast at least once every episode. um, It's mandatory. (laughs) It's mandatory. I'm going to say that um, my favorite in the last couple years is Ex Machina. I didn't think about this question. So So good. That is a film that I love very much. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I've watched it many times. And I think it is excellent. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you check it out. It was one of those movies that sort of, like, came out and then left. And, like, people didn't really talk about it until after. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really awesome. Yeah. Um, I really – that was, like, when I was trying to decide what to pick, that was one of my picks. Um, Ex Machina. This is Emily, by the way. Um, or is it? Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> Um, that was one of my picks. I also have a really soft spot in my heart for um, Star Trek Next Generation because I grew up watching mm-hmm. it and um, I love Data. Wesley Crusher. Yeah, but mostly Data. <laughs> mostly Data. I'm, I'm a big fan of Data. Um, and also I want to mention Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is probably my favorite um, like dystopian novel. It's hot on your mind because we just left seeing Blade Runner we 2049. We did. We just 
saw Blade Runner. This this was my second time seeing Blade Runner 2049. So obviously I'm a fan. Um, I've taught do Android stream of electric sheep before in uh, my dystopian themed composition class. And I had a lot of fun with that. And then I showed my students Blade Runner after we finished um, reading the book and they hated it. And they were like, this is nowhere near as good as the book. And I'm like, you know, if I've taught you guys anything, at least now you know that usually the book is better. Um, but I also really like the movies as well. So, yeah, that's me, Emily. I am Mary. And Born is actually my pick this week. It's your pick for your favorite story. No. <laughs> oh, like, that's no, cheating no. For sure. Um, I will say... Jeff, I do like Jeff Vandermeer a lot, and I wear my obsession with his Southern Reach trilogy on my sleeve. And it's up there for favorite uh, sort of speculative fiction story, but I love so many of them. And just to do something a little different, I guess, from everybody else, I think the story I have invested the most time in is a video game, Fallout 3. (laughs) Nice pick. I have played so many hours of Fallout 3. Uh, Liam Neeson is in it. Yeah. As a loving father. (laughs) What? As he always. Yeah, always. That is so out of character for him. Yeah. But it's, it's a great game, and you sort of just, like, get to spend... There's, there's like, a main story, but then you kind of get to spend most of the game crafting your own story by traveling around this post-apocalyptic wasteland and using various hobbled-together technology to kill monsters and things. But it's a good game, and it sort of, like, fits within the genre. I played maybe, like, 30 minutes of that game one time, and I was like, if I get to – if I keep going, like – I'm never going to stop. You'll never come So <laughs> I have to stop. Or you could just let it happen. I could. <laughs> I'm going to think about that. <laughs> so to get into Born, just let's just get cut right to it. Hop right in. I have a summary here from Goodreads. Surprisingly, a pretty good summary. I'm always shocked when Goodreads has a good summary. Uh, so here, here's the summary from Goodreads. In Born, a young woman named Rachel survives as a scavenger in a ruined city, half destroyed by drought and conflict. The city is dangerous, littered with discarded experiments from the company. And the company is capitalized, by the way. A biotech firm, now derelict, and punished by the unpredictable predations of a giant bear. Named Mord. I'm just going to pause there to let us soak it in. A giant bear who flies. A giant bear. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel ekes out an existence in the shelter of a rundown sanctuary she shares with her partner, Wick, who deals his own homegrown psychoactive biotech. One day, Rachel finds Bourne during a scavenging mission and takes him home. Bourne, as salvage, is little more than a green lump, plant, or animal, but exudes a strange charisma. Bourne reminds Rachel of the marine life from the island nation of her birth, now lost to rising seas. There is an attachment she resents. In this world, any weakness can kill you. Yet, against her instincts, and definitely against Wick's wishes, Rachel keeps born. She cannot help herself. Born, learning to speak, learning about the world, is fun to be with, and in a world so broken that innocence is a precious thing. 
For Bourne makes Rachel see beauty in the desolation around her. She begins to feel protectiveness she can ill afford. But as Bourne grows, he begins to threaten the balance of power in the city and to put the security of her sanctuary with Rick Wick at risk. For the company, it seems, may not truly be dead, and new enemies are creeping in. What Bourne will lay bare to Rachel as she changes is how precarious, or as he changes, as Bourne changes, is how precarious her existence has been and how dependent on sub- subterfuge and secrets in the aftermath, nothing may ever be the same. Hmm. <laughs> so, what did what did you guys think about what did you guys think about this book? Yeah, well, uh, I'll just go first. That's Emily. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, I gave this book. I'll start with my rating and then explain. How about that? I gave this book two stars, and I will explain why. Um, the extra star. The reason I didn't give it one star is because <laughs> the I thought the, the, the ideas in it were interesting. It didn't really develop into like a plot. Um, I thought the writing was really clunky. There were a lot of adjectives and adverbs, which really got on my nerves. Also, the world building was not great. Um, there were a lot of things that were not explained and didn't make sense. And I felt like they were trying to do that as part of this, like, um, genre, like, oh yeah, like it doesn't make sense. It's so weird. Isn't that cool? And it's like, no, no, it's not cool. It's lazy. <laughs> um, so more often than not, I felt really frustrated with the story. There were moments where I got lost in the story because again, I think, um, the ideas were interesting. I think the characters were interesting, but nothing around those things were interesting to me there were a lot of times where i was just like i, I hate this book so <laughs> mm-hmm. that's emily those are my thoughts oh those are great how will i follow it um <laughs> especially because i also gave it two stars ah! susan coming in with the two stars yeah although i would I'm call it a I'm solid not. two star and not like i didn't give it an extra star like oh, emily okay. said <laughs> um a bonus i just a bonus yeah star. it's just at two I mean, it earned that bonus star. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. I'm not judging you and your stars. It's an extra credit star. Yeah. I had a lot of similar feelings, mostly about that it didn't really develop into, like, a plot that I could get on board with and, like, get taken away in. And, like, for me, I think Rachel was sort of the only major saving grace. Like, I actually a lot of times enjoyed her narration um, and kind of just getting her limited view. But that's not enough to -hmm. make the whole world work. Um, I also, I liked the sort of mix of uh, old decrepit stuff and then the natural world kind of creeping in and then like this sort of psychoactive stuff that Wick has. Mm -hmm. I thought that stuff was neat, but again, like, what does it all mean to the whole thing? Not a lot, really, for me. Uh, hello. Hi. This is Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Um, <laughs> I, so I think I'm a little bit more positive about it than you guys, um, which I'm going to give it a three, which is my standard. Um, <laughs> probably closer to the two and a half than the three and a half if I was going for a half. Um, but I, 
really loved the whole basic premise of Bourne himself and his Mm -hmm. relationship with Rachel and Wick and the way that they all interacted with each other and the sort of like tensions that built out of that. And I think that while the world around them was interesting in some ways, like the the stuff with them in their like little hideaway was the most interesting because yeah, they were good characters. Like I think they were really distinctive, well-written characters and everything else was not as clear as those characters were. Um, as you guys were saying, there was a lot of uh, description that didn't necessarily make any sense or was hard to visualize. Um Especially when it came to, like, the landscape itself and, like, wi- like the stretch of area that they were covering. I was very, like, confused about the location of things, like, where the city was, where they were. Like, I can't – like, this was one of the few times when, like, a map in the front of a book would have actually helped me. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, though, like, I think it is a really fascinating idea. And I want to read something else by Jeff Vandermeer because I feel like, Mary, you really love him. And this probably mm-hmm. isn't the greatest representation of um, his capabilities. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Like, I don't, I don't know. Susan, did you read Annihilation? No, just Joe. <laughs> so... I know, I know Joe read it. So, like, I think I'm the only person who's read anything else by Jeff Vandermeer. And he is a good author. And this is sort of his genre that he really shines in. But I also gave the book three stars. Because it felt like these ideas weren't fully formed. Um, I also liked the idea. I thought Bourne was interesting. And I was on board with the basic premise, but I kind of agree with Emily that some of the world building felt incomplete. Mm-hmm. I like I couldn't get a solid grasp on what the company was, even as we found out more information about it. The city seemed like a stand it could any city could fit there it could be a stand-in which might be the point i mean like that could be the point that the world is so different now after you know the fall of humanity that it doesn't really matter where it takes place but i don't think that works and there's a lot of traces of jeff vandermeer's southern reach trilogy in this book like how rachel is obsessed with marine life and I think if I had to guess, Jeff Vandermeer's publishers just like rushed him to get another book out while his other books are kind of hot. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that worked out well for him. (laughs) But I mean, like we're kind of, all of us kind of said like, I mean, it was okay, but like parts of it are good. And I think one major problem that I have with this book is I don't know how to define it. Yeah. It, like, <laughs> what is it? What is this book? Do you mean, like, genre-wise, what is it? Genre. I mean, and, and not that it has to, like, fit into a genre necessarily, yeah. but I don't even really know what to compare it to. Is it a person? Is it a person? Is it a weapon? 
What is it? <laughs> uh, just to like give a little bit of background, Jeff and his wife, Anne Vandermeer, have edited a collection of short stories called... Uh, or uh, They edited this collection of short stories that fit into this genre that they call The New Weird. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a bit about this today. Emily brought this up to me and said, we might want to talk about it. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. It is such a mess. So, like, apparently... Different authors are arguing about what the new weird as a genre means. Some people, like the Vandermeers, say that it's speculative fiction, sort of mixed with low fantasy, that has some absurd or confusing things in it. So, like, in other words, it's sort of like a speculative fiction setting, but there's stuff that's not explained, whereas in science fiction you would expect it to be more explained. And the Vandermeers claim that the new weird uses reality as a jumping off point, like Jeff Vandermeer does with the Florida coast in the Southern Reach trilogy. The whole thing is based on the St. Mark's nature preserve in Florida. I really need to read that. You really should. It's, ugh, I cannot recommend it enough. But then other authors came up and said, mm, nah, y'all wrong. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Rose O'Keefe of Eraserhead Press, out of Portland, Oregon, says that the new weird only was created as a genre because people, people being readers and authors, want to distance themselves from pulpy science fiction and horror like uh, Lovecraft. And so, if you just if you just make a new genre. You can claim it's more literary. Right. So first of all, Lovecraft is amazing. And you shouldn't want to distance yourself from Lovecraft because, I mean, you're probably not he's doing amazing, as good of a job. Like, as he's like real racist, though. Okay. Just but I'm just saying. To be clear. Like, <laughs> you're, prob- like you're probably not doing as good of a job writing as he is. If you're writing that stuff. He is the father of horror exactly. in a lot of ways. Secondly... Anybody who calls themselves weird <laughs> can go fuck themselves because but Jughead I though <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Jughead. I think similarly his writing is terrible. For for those listening, I'm wearing a Riverdale T-shirt that has Jughead's speech on it, where he says, "In case you haven't noticed, I'm weird." I'm weird. <laughs> And I'm I'm rolling my eyes, and I don't want to fit in. It's like how Emily tells you she doesn't want to be your friend anymore. Yeah, look, (laughs) such a public way to do this. I (laughs) think it's real lame to call yourself weird. It it is often a thing teenagers do to feel exactly. Oh yeah, I definitely did it. Oh, I did too. I was like, I'm weird. Nobody at school understands me. I'm so random. I mean, so did Lydia and Beetlejuice. It worked really well for her in Beetlejuice, but she was also a teenager. Yeah, It doesn't work very well as a genre to be like, well, we're just weird. That's why you just don't get it because we're weird. Like, nah, you just need to <laughs> like write that. better. Well, I mean, Lovecraft comes from this tradition. Like a lot of Lovecraft stories were published in Weird Tales, the magazine Weird Tales. And so, like, weird's not necessarily a negative thing or trying to be cool for that genre. But saying we're the new weird is like, we're different. We're 
We're trying to do something more elevated than that. Yeah. We're an even weirder version of Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's a fair point that, I don't know. And I mean, like, I've said it here before. I've said it in my life before. (laughs) I think a lot of genre arguments are stupid because people unnecessarily stigmatize certain genres as being not good. Mm -hmm. And science fiction and fantasy are some of those genres that people stigmatize as being, quote, genre fiction. And I think that's crappy. So, like, and I, I'm i glad, Emily, you brought up Lovecraft because Lovecraft is a good example of introducing something and then never really explaining it. It's like, there's an eldritch horror. Oh, no, we're all crazy now. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, you don't know where that thing came from necessarily or what happened. I mean, sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. And I think that's what the new weird is trying to accomplish, at least by Jeff Vandermeer's writing, mm-hmm. you know, but. It's a difficult thing to do. It is. Because y- y- your reader has to really trust you to say like, okay, I'm totally buying into this, even though I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to create that sort of trust with your reader in some way. So if it's not through explaining the world, the world to the reader, it's got to be through something else, like creating this concrete world wherein these things exist, but through like description that makes sense, which yeah. this book, as we talked about, like, there were a lot of things that were described in great detail that I was like, I still can't picture that. Yeah. Like, I still don't know what this world looks like. So it's beyond, like, not making sense to me. It's like, I don't even know. A lot of times I was like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of confused at points. Like, they live in a place they call the Balcony Cliffs. And it's at first I thought, oh, it's an old apartment complex that they're living in. But then I thought maybe it's a cave or something. I mean, I don't know. It's just like... my assumption of the balcony cliffs was that it was like this was what i was picturing by the end was that it was like an apartment complex that had somehow been like essentially like lifted off the ground and like Mm -hmm. dumped onto the edge of like like possibly by moored or something that was like crushed because it there was like description of how everything was sort of like tumbling down mm-hmm. in a way. And so I just like, I was like, oh, the balcony is like jutting. There are balconies that are jutting off of like the edge of this cliff. Yeah. But it still could be totally not that. And that's the thing is there's no way of knowing. <laughs> and that's, and you know, that's okay. It's, I think the issue here is physical spaces did not receive much description, but certain details or characters or phenomena like Mord or Born do receive description. Right. And I was invested in those things. Like, I completely can imagine what Mord the flying giant bear looks like. Yes. Mm-hmm. I get an idea of how people walk around on Mord's body through his fur to scavenge. All of that feels very weird. Not weird. It does feel weird, but it feels very <laughs> real. And I can picture it, but I can't picture, like, where are we? <laughs> Is this right. the road? By Cormac McCarthy, where it's just desolate wasteland. Is this a relatively recent collapse of humanity? Maybe it doesn't matter. But 
it was hard. So, like, when it's creatures or phenomena that are um, not described in much detail, I think our minds can fill in the blanks. But when it's the setting, which is supposed to be mundane, that's not described, it's harder for me to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I was and I was talking to Emily about this, that I felt like all of the creatures and like organisms were really well described and fleshed Mm -hmm. out. And then the setting wasn't, even though, like you're saying, it would have possibly been more helpful to have more description the other way around. Yeah. Or just like clearer Mm -hmm. description. I'm going to try to not keep referencing the Southern Reach trilogy. (laughs) But I think it's a good example of this because there are creatures in that book and in the whole trilogy that you sort of get an idea what they are, but then you also don't. Like, you might know what they do, but not entirely what they look like or sort of what they look like, but then you don't know where they came from. And that's really compelling because the whole time you're thinking, what is happening? What are these creatures? What is this stuff? But this is a complete opposite here. And, like, the world in the Southern Reach trilogy is like, oh, it's like a, a natural setting. There are trees. There's an ocean. Not much description of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, like, d- enough description. I don't know. I'm c- I'm confusing myself at this point. <laughs> You're doing great. It's like we can, we we get the, the image of the setting in the Southern Reach trilogy because it's drawing on things that are familiar. Like if I say Florida, you have an idea of what Florida is, whether you're intimately familiar with it or not, you have some (laughs) idea of what Florida is. Mm -hmm. But if I just say city somewhere, sometime. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, that's true. Cause there is no, there is never a mention of any specific thing that we are already familiar with. Right. Other than really vague terms like city, ocean, river. <laughs> like, yeah. Bear. 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 But giant. Mord, Mord worked for me, for sure. I was into Mord that. was one of my favorite things. Yeah, I loved him. And I got an edition of this book that had annotations by Jeff Vandermeer in it, which was, it was really disappointing because his notes were stuff like, I based this scene off of a title pool I saw once. <laughs> You're like, what? But for Mord, he was just like, I like bears. <laughs> Footnote, I like bears. Yes. There's a whole page at the back of of the book in the acknowledgement section, and there's like an entire paragraph of acknowledgement for bears and yes. another paragraph with him thanking other people, but there's a whole paragraph about bears. That's how my book would be, but with cats. Right. Yes. Yes. I would like to thank all the cats in the world. I would name every single cat I know by name. P. <laughs> C. Edward. Penelope. Katrina. Katrina. Penelope. Ruthie. Yeah. Ruth. Crash. Crash a lash. Flower. Yeah. Flower. That's a flower. Other Edward. I know two Edwards. So, I mean, I I have a lot of talking points that are about genre because I think that's what's interesting about this book, which is maybe indicative of how I felt about the book. But like, uh, if we think the new weird is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is this science fiction or is this fantasy? I would say science fiction. Me too. Yeah, me three. 
Because here's why. So first of all, I think that usually when we're in a dystopian story, it's got it's got sci- sci-fi elements in it because mm-hmm. anything that happens in the future is going to have some sort of like speculation on what's going to be happening with technology and science at that time. Right. Um so like futuristic immediately to me means it's probably at least somewhat sci-fi. Secondly, all of the things that are fantastical, I think are um they're not like explained, but we get the sense that they aren't magical. Like these things happen because like the company did it or, you know, like it, they were somehow like manufactured or nature yeah. has freaked the fuck out in some way. Right. Right. Manufactured <laughs> or there's like a scientific reason that these things have morphed into other things. So I don't know. I, I think like, even though we're not getting the scientific explanation for everything, I don't feel like it's magic. I feel like there is science behind everything that's happening. Like, we're meant to believe that this is science and that this isn't just, like, a fantasy world in which right. these things have always existed. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I mean, I kind of wonder if Jeff Vandermeer is playing with us a little bit because it is supposed to be science-based. You know, like, Mord, spoiler, as usual... Mord was a person once Mm -hmm. and now is a giant flying bear. So some scientific procedure turned Mord from a person into a giant bear. We don't know what that is or what Mm -hmm. that looks like. We just know it happened. But Mm then, and everything has a scientific reason, like Wix, um, beetles that make people hallucinate there's Which science cool. behind that that, that was, was cool a, yeah like who doesn't want to take a beetle right now yeah. or, an, or yeah. an alcoholic minnow minnow <laughs> that sounded a little grosser but also cool <laughs> but but one of the main antagonists of the book is someone called the magician Mm-hmm. And she's using mm-hmm. science too to do things, but it's you know, like she has this reputation that it seems like magic. So I mean, like, is this like an argument of science is magic? I don't know. This is like a totally weird thing that I kept thinking about when I was reading this, and whenever I read about the magician, have you guys heard of Zardulu? That sounds mm-hmm. really familiar. No, it's this woman uh, <laughs> on the internet who. She's. It's very difficult to explain, but I would like to point everyone to an episode of a podcast called Reply All, called yes. Zardulu, about this woman who basically claims to be responsible for various weird happenings around the world, particularly in New York City. If anyone remembers the pizza rat phenomenon yes, yes. that <laughs> occurred a couple years ago. I may not know Zardulu, but I know pizza rat. <laughs> yes. So Zardulu claims to have staged pizza rat and trained this rat. And her whole philosophy is that like nothing is as it seems. And she's sort of like, when I was reading about the magician, I was really thinking of this woman who is like actually a person in our <laughs> current world that exists who wears a yes. mask like she doesn't reveal Wait, her what? face 
I'm yes. Googling right now. Okay. I gotta see her. Go look at, go find her on Twitter. She speaks in all these, like, very strange, like, uh, like, prose poems about, like, oh, <laughs> it's super weird. But anyway, it just made me think about, like, how a person can be, because she does, like, by the end, you sort of come to understand that the magician is, like, nothing special. She's right. kind of a fraud in a way. And I thought that was really interesting because it does at first seem perhaps like it's fantasy or like something special is going on with her. But in the end, it's like she's just a person who presented herself this way to get what she wanted. Can I can I share just like a couple of Zardulu tweets? Here? Yeah, yes. please. Because her Twitter, I'm looking at it too and I'm like, oh boy. This is one of can my we, favorite things. We can link things. it in the show notes, right? Yes. For and I'll link else. to the episode too of Reply All because it's like Sweet. so good. <laughs> All right, let's hear the tweets. It's not enough to wish the world were more magical. Sometimes you have to be the magician. See? Is this book about her? See? (laughs) Did she write Uh, this book? Don't fear. (laughs) Don't fear the evolution of a myth. As they adapt to new cultural settings, they carry something of their origin, of their creators, forever. The intent of my work is not to inform. It is to transform. (laughs) (laughs) yep yep anyway totally like a sidetrack obviously but i couldn't stop thinking about it (laughs) she also posted an article called the almost comprehensive history of rat kings there you go good (laughs) good yeah well i'm pretty convinced this book is about her now so yeah if you don't know what a rat king is it's when a bunch of rats get tangled up by the tail Ew. And make a big monster. <laughs> yes. I ran an RPG where the Rat King was a enemy once. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the building I work in has a Rat King. Oh, oh God. I was going to say it's very timely because we're recording this the day before Halloween. Halloween! But by the time we post this it won't be Halloween anymore so spooky rat king monsters won't be as timely but I mean really aren't rat kings timely rats are forever rats are forever forever. forever. all right that's our that's the title of this episode (laughs) rats are forever so fantasy and sci-fi though yeah fantasy and sci-fi though I don't know if there's really any answer to Yeah, well, like the real question then is, does it matter which one it is, or you know, I mean, that's the whole thing is like, does genre ever really matter? I know. I ask myself that all the time. I know. (laughs) Yeah, my answer is no, it doesn't matter. But yes, it's sci-fi. It's fun to talk about. (laughs) I mean, it is sci-fi, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not that it matters, but it is sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm the, right. The, that's the problem with genre is mostly just that people decide whether or not they want to read something based on based on, based genre. on the what genre. Yeah, the yeah. genre is so, which is some bullshit, and it changes the way it's marketed, which also turns out oh, to be a lot yeah. of bullshit too. Yep. You know, that's my favorite hobby horses. Well, this was marketed to so and so because I do I do children's lit in my own research. And so I'm always like, this was marketed as a children's text, but written for adults. <laughs> <laughs> That's your hobby horse voice. 
It, that's, <laughs> yes, when I get on the hobby horse, that's the voice. It's definitely. like it's a voice like this on the hobby horse. It's my snooty academic voice. Okay, so like, if this is uh, maybe science fiction, maybe it's fantasy, what is the point of this book? And now I'm not saying like a books need a moral or anything like I mean, that. But you, there should be a point to it. Like, why? But, like, was this what written? is this book trying to? accomplish with the story i think the main thing that i was getting out of it was this the question about which actually made me think a lot about blade runner also while i was reading it like Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a person like what does it mean and like at what point does killing something out of necessity become like not necessity but like malevolent (laughs) or whatever i mean this is like the most fascinating part of the book to me and why i probably gave it three stars because there were lots of things i did not like about this book but born himself itself uh the creature born was really fascinating and like what makes us human is a question i love seeing explored in stories and born mm-hmm. constantly asked throughout the whole book, am I a person? Mm-hmm. Born is born. Born is born. born. born is At born. some point, he starts asking, am I a weapon? Am I a person? Can a person be a weapon? And I love that she hears him whispering these questions to himself at night uh, yes. when he thinks she's sleeping. Yes. Like, if I had a creature in my room that was whispering to itself, am I a weapon? I would throw it out the window. Yes. Yeah. I would be like, well, we're not finding <laughs> out. But what if it was Penelope? Oh, that's because, true. Because Bourne is basically like Penelope yeah. to Rachel. Well, and it was interesting, too, that it was definitely – there was a lot of stuff in there about, like, parenthood, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was cool because, I don't know, like, Rachel is this – like character who's very like independent in certain ways but then she sort of finds herself like sacrificing a lot of her independence to care for this creature because she feels this motherly affection Mm -hmm, for it because she found it which is like when it was small and she kept it alive you know Mm -hmm. and like i like thought that that was really fascinating and something that i wasn't expecting i also think it's interesting too how Born really like rebels against that type of relationship between the two of them. Like that doesn't seem to be how he sees things, and mm-hmm. he's right. trying to like prove that he's like grown beyond that. He yeah. has to grow up. Yeah. yeah, and yet he still has this like attachment to her mm-hmm. and desperation to be close to her and make things okay in the way that a child might. So right. I feel like part like he's rejecting that, but it's also kind of kind of is their relationship whether or not he like wants to. So he like goes through a rebellious teen phase, basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean I mean I think we really start asking ourselves what it means to be human when we discover more about Born's nature, his true nature. So. I don't know, like about like halfway, two thirds through the book, we find out that Bourne has been making himself look like Rachel mm-hmm. and look like Wick and then talking to them 
and manipulating them into thinking certain things happened. And I, Emily said, oh, like, obviously he was turning into them. (laughs) And I said, oh, I I didn't. I mean, (laughs) I didn't see it coming when it happened. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because there were a lot of moments. If I could change into different people, don't think I wouldn't be doing that. You know? (laughs) Like, it just seems like the obvious step for him to, like, yeah. I mean, I knew that he would was probably going to be morphing into people, but I didn't think about the fact that he might play off of them as each other. Especially, like, he had sex with both of them, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which, yeah, yeah. how do you feel about that, Mary? Oh, I don't feel great about it. <laughs> I, I think they're, that's shady on Bourne's part. But, you know... It seemed like Bourne did not have malicious intent with that stuff. He was trying to explore humanity, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's he didn't the even thing. realize. Well, that's one way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I think if like if like if I was born, <laughs> I don't think Bourne did anything wrong. <laughs> we're like, get you some Bourne, you get yours. Yeah, Bourne, we're we're sex positive here. <laughs> I don't know, but like, is that rape? <sighs> oh Look, god a lot of ethical questions back? i'm not prepared to answer <laughs> the sex part was wrong yes okay. yes <laughs> i mean if he had been if he had said hey rachel i'm born and i want to have sex with you great go for it mutual on both sides whatever but like he said hey rachel i'm wick and i want to have sex with you well in and- the time he was wick. no mary he was not <laughs> not actually but was he i mean that's the question yeah, because right. what makes Wick Wick? Yeah. And then here's my question. I mean, they don't. This isn't really talked about in the book, but we know they probably like born had sex with both of them. Yes. Well, she asks him directly, and, and he's, he's like, like mm. "I wouldn't do that." Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like as humans, I think that's the part immediately we're like, "Oh my gosh, do you think he had sex with both of them?" I know because he did. He did. But like, here's the question. After having sex with Wick for years, presumably. Exactly. Did she I know not notice with. anything was different? <laughs> like. Yeah. Or, or. Here's something I just thought. Bourne spied on them all the time. That's true. Bourne was oh, in the room all the time moves? while they were having sex. Oh, <laughs> oh man. He learned their moves. Ugh. Yeah, a Taking notes. Real gross. But but this is when it gets really (laughs) horrifying is you start thinking about stuff like that. And then pretty immediately after that, Bourne reveals he has been killing things and absorbing their bodies into himself. (laughs) And that's how he gets bigger. Oh, I do want to say my my favorite my favorite line in the whole book was when he was like he like killed that guy and he like tells Rachel like, but he was pretty dying. Like, he was pretty dying. And she's like, how dying? Yeah. Pretty, pretty dying. He was, he was pretty dying. I thought that was kind of ha- cute. I have to I also know. just say that Bourne was hilarious. Like, some of the yeah. conversations they had with each other were super funny and very, like, delightfully yes. written and just really fun to read. And those were the moments when I found myself being like, I really enjoy this. And then yeah, it would too. go into some weird, like, description of something that I didn't care about and I would sort of fall off again. But. Like right. like we talked about in our room episode, 
Born has there's like born isms yes. throughout the book because Born is learning language. And so he says stuff like, He was pretty dying <laughs> when I found him. Or he says He says um, nice and not nice a lot to describe things. Yes. And he, he describes killing people as tasting. Sampling. <laughs> sampling sampling and he's he's he even says like oh they're not really dead they're you know still here they're still in me yeah and rachel's like that's that's another point of discussion that that like at the very beginning as soon as born is living with them he eats Mm -hmm. but nothing comes out of him he doesn't go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and wick is like that's suspicious as fuck (laughs) it is is. like (laughs) if you knew a person that didn't poop yeah i would be like tell me your secret (laughs) Yeah, because I have a lot of gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> well, not pooping is not going to help that, Mary. It's probably going to make it worse. I'm just saying, if someone told me that they didn't poop, I wouldn't trust them as a person. Yeah. Also, yeah. if he's absorbing all of these things into himself itself, did they both have sex with all of those things too? Sure. I don't know. It's really confusing. All those little children that are dead inside of him. <laughs> Which I I felt like I understood that that's what was happening, that he was eating people and absorbing them from the first time he killed something, mm-hmm. and its eye was, like, there. And it sort of had that thing's voice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and the yeah. fact, like, even when she first started noticing his eyes, like, it was like, some of the eyes are human. Some yeah. of them weren't. And one was, like, a really familiar gray, like... Oh, those be a lot of different eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, I, one of my professors who teaches science fiction classes um, and loves science fiction said that there was a twist at the end of the novel that cheapened the entire story for him. And when I read it, I kept thinking, okay, what's the twist? Well, the twist is that that Wick isn't human, right? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole part where she finds, like, in the letter he writes to her Mm -hmm. and all that, she... (laughs) Am I crazy or is Mary crazy? Which one of us is crazy? Well... Uh, maybe both of us i don't know there's a part where it says that he was created by the company he i thought mord mord was created no but so was wick what yeah <laughs> right excuse me susan and emily can you please weigh in I, all right I, hold on kelly I, <laughs> i'm grabbing the book Wait, kelly i think you're right um, yeah, yes. but I just want I just want to use some textual evidence yeah. because I'm a Ravenclaw. We look, Emily can verify today specifically. I've got look, a Swiss cheese brain. Was not <laughs> able to follow that movie. Like by the end of the movie. Well, okay. The spoiler-free version is by the end of Blade Runner, I forgot things we had found out like ten minutes earlier. Almost. Yeah. <sighs> drunk, <sighs> drunk on that popcorn. I threw the story of Blade Runner is I accidentally spilled popcorn all in a seat. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then the story of Blade Runner. I left my phone in the movie theater. This is the plot of Blade Runner, you guys. And I had to go back and get my phone. And the manager walked me to get it. And it was Wig. Looked at the popcorn. <laughs> and it was and Wig. He all said, along. This is where you were sitting, huh? <laughs> But, okay, I think I interpreted this as he said I was created by the company, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, our bosses are always kind of influencing. <laughs> Listen, okay, I found it, I found it. <laughs> okay, so, for in one of the rooms, I'm going to read this, all right? For in one of the rooms I had found what he had hid so ably and so well lived with for so long. There was a mound of discarded gi- diagrams and models for biotech, boxes full of withered away parts. Each one had some version of Wick's face. Crushed, cracked, discarded, tossed aside, abandoned, discontinued. Wick had never been a person, but he had always been a person to me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Seems no, pretty when, clear. When you say it that way... <laughs> When you say it like it is, when you in say the it actual... like there were just pieces of various versions of him discarded on the ground. All right, followed Real by this talk. sentence: "Wick was never a person." When yeah. I read that, I think I thought to myself, "This is too much like Westworld to be real." <laughs> True. That's where um, your brain is like, "Nope." Yep, I was like, "Nope." This is Westworld. Yeah. So that's what the twist. <laughs> And I guess maybe that's what your professor was saying, because you were, like, too much that like that... Westworld, so if that is cheapening it. I didn't find it. I don't think that that cheapens it. I think there are other things, probably, that are cheapening. It adds another layer, that. like, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. He was always a person to her. Yeah. I mean, he also, part of that same twist is that he had found Rachel before... Um, because her she her parents were shipped to the company, and so was she when they were escaping their last mm-hmm. place. And she watched them get killed, and he sort of like took her in, um, and tried to help her. And she asked him after you know a certain amount of time, she asked him if he could erase her memories of seeing her parents get killed. Mm-hmm. And so he erased right. that and erased all memory of coming to the company so that her memory was just of her, of showing up and him finding her, like, by a river or something. <laughs> Who knows, Here, really? Here's what maybe happened. Uh, Jeff Vandermeer's publisher says, Jeff, you gotta get a new book out. Southern Reach is hot. Annihilation is getting made into a movie with our boy Oscar Isaac. And our my boy. girl Natalie. And our girl Natalie, and you gotta get a new book out. And Jeff Vandermeer said, okay, I can do it. He watched Westworld. <laughs> and he said, okay, I can do this. Robots. Then he watched Blade Runner. Got it. <laughs> then yeah. he watched Ro- Blade Runner. And he was like, yes, robots. Then Robots and memories. The whole memory mm-hmm. situation. Then he watched Flubber. Mm-hmm. Flubber. He watched Flubber. Eternal Sunshine of a splot- Spotless Mind. Spotless Mind. And he was like, erasing memories. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All of these things have been successful. (laughs) Even Flubber was successful for its time. Flubber is born. Born is Flubber. (laughs) I mean, at first, was he not basically Flubber? Yeah. Born is Flubber. That that could also be the episode title. Born is Flubber, rats are forever. (laughs) (laughs) The two lessons we've learned. 
You can't say I haven't contributed anything to this discussion. It's true. I I feel like when I was when I was trying to prep for the episode today, I feel like every time I pick a book, we all, including me, are like, eh. <laughs> like I feel like that about my own too. So that's how we've uh-huh. been about almost every book in general. I think, eh. except for my eh. books, because the two books we loved are both books that I picked. Emily's the best at picking. I I say that in the next book I pick, everyone's gonna hate probably. So. Well, we yeah, might all have to just, yourself. we might have to, just so it's fair. You might have to hate it just so I don't get, like, a big head about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. We have a secret group text about how we're going to hate your next book. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you just blew it, Kelly. Jeez. Sorry, I, I got excited. Um, do you guys want to talk about narration? Yeah. Because we all said we liked Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rachel's an interesting character, and it's a first-person narrative but towards the end of the novel i started feeling confused (laughs) clearly because i (laughs) forgot major plot points it's also to be fair to me it's been a couple of weeks since i finished this book and i read it very quickly okay i I just finished finished it yesterday yeah today um today today. it was a challenge but i (laughs) i finished two books today i might be becoming a fast reader you are becoming a fast know. reader. I became a fast listener when I sped that shit up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I sped it up to two times. Yeah, and it takes a second to get on board with that cadence, but then once you do, you're like, okay, let's zoom on through. Let's fucking do this. Mm-hmm. Well, at one, I found the audiobook to be very, very, very slow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Rachel, Rachel's a first-person narrator, but towards the end of the novel, I was wondering, who is she talking to? Like, who yeah. is... Oh my god! Oh my god! Emily was saying that same thing to me. Yes. So I've mentioned this to Mary and I've mentioned this to Kelly because it bothers me a lot. But towards the beginning of the novel, she's talking. Rachel is talking about what Born likes to eat, and she says lizards. No, she says Born (laughs) likes to eat what you guys would call or what you would call junk food, but we don't call it that anymore. And I'm like, who are you talking to right now? Okay, and then I. I posited the idea, which mm-hmm. is what I normally assume when I'm reading something from a first-person account that seems to not just be that, like, this person is just thinking and we're hearing their thoughts, but that they are writing something down. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Um, Which is the impression that I got from this, especially since at a certain point Rachel talks about how she would have wanted to be a writer. So... Like, we oh, get that's true. the impression, I think, that she is writing this. My assumption is that she's writing it for, like, a potential future generation. Because after everything happens and things start to get better, she's basically, like, telling the story of how this all occurred. So, in, in saying junk food, perhaps she is hoping that someday in the future... There will be junk food again. There will be junk food again. <laughs> But then why did she say that it's obsolete? Or is she, yeah, or is she writing it to a past? Well, she would remember junk food, right? Because she yeah. was like alive pre-collapse. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, is but, she is she writing it? Well, she's saying it's obsolete in her time. But she's saying what you would call, suggesting that. But the it could be like it. the general you suggesting that the person reading it might have junk food once again. Okay. Or that they also know. experienced it with her. It felt lazy to me. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just trying to explain how it could potentially make sense. My favorite my favorite moment from when we were all sort of reading this at the same time was Emily texted me and said, if this was in workshop, I would tear it apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like, I wish I could find those texts because I like, like was line editing some sentences because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, there's some like heavy adjective and adverb use in here, which is number one indicator that you're writing is shit. Emily was texting, within like the first 10 pages of the book, Emily was texting me like, mm-hmm. okay, listen to the sentence. <laughs> she yeah. like typed it. She was like, she it's like one part where it's describing Wick's face or something, and she's like, what oh does that Oh my god, mean? it was so bad. No, because here's the other thing. There's so many abstractions in these descriptions. Yeah. So like I was saying, like, uh, so Jeff Vandermeer will describe things, but after you read the description, you realize, like, I have no idea what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so, so like, I, I wish I could find, again, I wish I could find these texts where I was talking about these quotes because, like, it, yeah, it's just all abstractions. So, like, he'll spend, like, several sentences describing a facial expression, and then after you're done reading it, you're like, I still have no idea what that looks like, you know? Were any of those sentences, you think, worse than the worst sentence we've read, which was, from here I am? <laughs> no. No, no. The burrito? That he plugged his face orifice with the burrito? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I will say I kind of uh, got used to the writing after a while, and it didn't bother me as much. Uh but I don't think that it's because it got better. I think it's just I got tired of getting angry about it. You just <laughs> let it happen eventually. Yeah, I was like, I just got to close my eyes and get this over with. Oh, yeah. God. Lie back and think of England. Exactly. Oh, my God. I mean, any other thoughts about the book? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I mean, just like one more time. Mm-hmm. The Southern Reach oh, is really good. <laughs> plays music hey, I, we didn't read that you though. <laughs> just imagine like the cane hooking me off the stage alright I want to talk about our featured bookstore for the month book of November. Bookstore that we love. Here's month. a bookstore that we love. We're gonna tell you about it. Remember when we were going to actually make theme music for all of these things? I mean, we can still it do could that. happen. Mary could and happen. Emily. <laughs> I'm busy, all right? So, this month's featured bookstore is brought to you by me. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> We are featuring Avid Bookshop in Athens, Georgia. Um, they have two locations, Prince Avenue and Five Points. Um, I just want to say that we've decided to start doing this uh, featured bookstore segment once a month because it's really, really important to shop locally when you can and not buy all of your books from Amazon whenever possible. I know sometimes things happen. But shopping locally is great because we love bookstores. Um, and the really cool thing about Avid is you can go to avidbookshop.com and they sell books online as well. So if you don't live in Athens, you can still check out what they got going on on the website. Um, mm-hmm. I love Avid Books. They're really cute shops. They also sell a lot of um, 
feminist merch, which I am all about. Um, I got myself a nice Black Lives Matter pen the last time I was there. So you can get your activism shopping and your book shopping out of the way in one spot. Um, they also sell, you know, bookmarks and coffee mugs. And I have a cool Avid t-shirt. And it's just really great. Um, I also want to tell you about some events coming up at Avid. And in the area that Avid is helping host. So the big one that they wanted me to talk about was the Georgia Review and Avid Bookshop are presenting renowned poet Eileen Miles for her latest book, Afterglow, a dog memoir. This not-to-be-missed literary event will be held on Friday, November 17th from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Foundry Ballroom at 295 East Doherty Street, Athens, Georgia. While this event is free and open to the public, we encourage you to purchase a copy of the featured book or other works by Eileen Miles from Avid Bookshop, not from Amazon, before this event or from our <laughs> event mobile bookshop. Um, yeah. Here's some other things that are happening there soon, just rapid fire. They've got a ton of stuff every month. They also do um, book club meetings and they have like uh, different types of book clubs. So they have like YA book club. They have like new release book club. They have paperback book club, I'm pretty sure, but tons of different book clubs and stuff. Um, Mark, I'm going to mess up this name. Mark Z. Danielewski. Author of House of Leaves. Author of House of Leaves. He's a big deal, y'all. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> he is yeah, a big no, deal. He is. I know. House of Leaves, I love. I do too. Um, but he is going to be um, at Avid Bookshop. On Sunday, November 12th at the Prince Avenue location from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. to promote his newest book, Redwood, which is the latest volume in the Familiar series. I've got um, the first one in that series. Yeah. Um, curator Cynthia Connolly is uh, promoting Band in D.C. on November 16th. And this is a good event for punk music fans. This is, again, at the Prince Avenue location, 6.30 to 7.30. And finally... Morgan Parker and Tommy Pico, which I hope I am saying right again. I'm really bad with pronouncing last names. Um, is they're going to be at the 40 Watt on November 30th, and this is hosted by again the Georgia Review and UGA Creative Writing Program, along with Avid. So, I mean, I just think Avid's a great shop. They're clearly very um, involved in the community and bringing literary events to the city of Athens. So, I just want to give them a round of applause for me. Awesome. Yay! And we do have some Thank listeners you. in Georgia, I believe. So yes, relevant, <laughs> tons relevant. <laughs> but also, you can shop online. Oh, also, one last thing, and then we'll move on. They also do an online subscription service. So those of you guys who love getting um, subscription boxes, especially book subscription boxes, and you want to give your money to an independent store, they do a subscription service. You fill out a survey, and they send you a book personally for you, handpicked by a bookseller there. So it's extremely personalized. (laughs) Yes. So all of that's on their website, which we will include in the show notes, but it's show notes, but it's avidbookshop.com. Ta-da! Okay, I'm done. That was a bookstore that we like. That was the bookstore that we love. Of the month. Of the month of November. We have some listener feedback, comments, things. Yes. Um, so we have one from Ellis about all the ugly and wonderful things. 
Um, so Ellis wrote on the Goodreads. Which is a um, thing we have. A That's thing we brain. have. We yeah. have a little discussion board there. Uh, it's you fun. didn't know. Yeah. We'll put the link in the show notes for that, too. Why not? Yes. A lot, a lot of links in the show notes, guys. A lot yeah. of links. Yeah. Uh, someone better find me all those links. Um, Ellis writes, I had one response. I think it was Mary that said in defense that books are written about all kinds of bad behavior, and that doesn't mean that the behavior is okay, with the example of Hunger Games. I wanted to play devil's advocate and say, this analogy doesn't work, because... As far as I know, pitting children against each other in death matches is not a widespread problem in our society the way pedophilia is. That's I true. understand the <laughs> perspective of some who feel this kind of book normalizes pedophilia by making it romantic. That being said, I understand that perspective, but don't totally agree. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the complexity of the book, and I'm still wrestling with it in my mind. I think this sort of book should be written because it is thought-provoking and forces us to have these discussions. Still don't know how I can recommend this book to anyone unless I tell them nothing about it besides it's great and fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> also, I am finally reading Handmaid's Tale thanks to y'all after it's been on my to-read list for over a decade, and holy shit, I can't believe I waited this long. Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Ellis. Handmaid's Tale is really great. So glad that you are reading based on our recommendations. That must mean that we're doing something right. Something. I totally agree, (laughs) Ellis. Um, I think Hunger Games was just the first thing that came to my mind. (laughs) Because, probably because it is outlandish to think about pitting kids against each other uh, for murder. Though, also, also in Hunger Games, we are on the side of the kids, not the people pitting them against each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, I agree. It's like, this book does talk about a real problem but i think it frames it in such a way that it is interesting and thought-provoking um like ellis says and it does start discussions like why do we feel uncomfortable about this mm-hmm. what is it that is making us have this reaction and i think that bringing up those kinds of ethical questions is something great about literature so Um, And I will also agree that, like, I've had a really hard time recommending this to people. Like, I did mention it to Ben, and then I was like, oh, this is really good. And then I said, it's about, and I explained what it was about. And he was like, yeah, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't really know. see? That is the problem I was having. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone I've described it to is like, no thanks. Yeah. I've said, it's good, but I'm kind of cringing when I say it. Yeah. So if you haven't read this book, All the Ugly and Wonderful Things by Bryn Greenwood, um, it's definitely worth reading. Maybe just like read it even if it doesn't sound good because I thought it was good. But I did also think that the description sounded interesting. So maybe I'm just really fucked up. (laughs) I mean, I felt like... Confirmed. I felt lukewarm (laughs) about the description. I was like, okay. But I really loved it. So there. I'll read anything. Okay, so we also have a room discussion question. Which Renee? Is this Renee? Renee? Yeah. yeah. Renee, Where is she Renee. from? She's from Ohio. Thank you. Renee asks, can you guys talk about how the movie Room ignores Jack's discovery of how he's different from girls? The movie glosses over the importance of sex development. The details on this are fuzzy for me because it's been a while since we read this book. And it's also been a while since I've seen the movie. Um, 
Well, I definitely remember that the movie does not talk about sex development at no, all. No, it doesn't. I mean, I do remember <sighs> that, you know, when he's in room, he really doesn't have anyone to identify with and compare himself to other than Ma. Right. So the differences between them... I mean, it makes sense that the differences between them don't seem gender related because like she's, she's older, a, she's an adult and he's a child. She's the mother and he's the son. And those differences seem more important than gender differences, especially when like you're the only two people. Is he I'm just trying to remember out loud here, but does he kind of find this out when he's staying with his cousins? His uncle. When he's with his cousin, who's a girl, um, close to his age, and they're at the mall, other people mistake him for a girl, too. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole whole issue with him wanting the Dora the Explorer backpack and them being like, no, at first. Mm -hmm. And that's like the only, that's the only thing I can really remember about that specific topic and of course that wasn't in the movie so but that also like really is significant i think and when i read that in the book i remember that being one of my favorite parts because jack doesn't understand that he can't have a dora backpack because it's too girly or whatever which is totally like something we teach young boys is that you have to perform masculinity in a certain way so i mean i thought that was a really significant part of the book, but I don't uh, like. I feel like there's something else. Well, also at the same time, though, like he's five, so <laughs> yeah. I feel like if That's you around when you start thinking about gender differences, anyway. Yeah, so I don't know that his experience in room, like, would have. Aff- I mean, it it will affect everything in his life, obviously, to some extent. But I don't know if his understanding of like gender. I don't know how gender is weird at five. Yeah. It gender's weird in general. <laughs> yes. yes. So I mean, there's also that. Um, do, do, do you want to hear a fun story real quick? Always fun story time. Uh, when when Mary was we, when I was a young Mary, probably like four or five. Maybe I learned I learned the word penis. <laughs> And I just started saying it. <laughs> I was really into superheroes when I was that age. And oh, I mean, no. I still am. But I, I was like, what if there was a... I was like very invested in making up my own superheroes. So I was like, what if there was a penis man? Penis man. <laughs> That's every well, man. Every man is penis I know. Man. It's but, like, as a five-year-old, I was like... Every man thinks of himself as penis. <laughs> yeah. As a five-year-old, I was like... I'm going to make up this superhero named Penis Man. And my dad was like, no, no, please. <laughs> no, please. You can't. What about Vagina please Man? Hey, Mary, will you vagina please man. now draw for us what you thought of Penis Man back then? Well, there will be a I link in the know. show notes to Mary's illustration of Penis Man. <laughs> I like to think that all his limbs are penises. <laughs> I was just imagining one big penis with no limbs, but like a cape. (laughs) This was a trend when I was a kid. I mean, in much in the way that Bourne and Jack sort of play with language, I would learn words and then just say them a lot um, to varying effects. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a story from my life. Penis is a good one. Cool story. (laughs) 
I, I will say, I just appreciate someone actually told me penis and not like pee-pee or wee-wee or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Proper, At least proper it was terms. Accurate. Yeah. Give me those yes. anatomical terms. Cue the music! Yeah. <laughs> Stuff we're into. We haven't done this for a while. Who wants to go first? I'll go first because I have one off the top. Okay, so a thing I'm into, as usual, is another podcast. Yeah! Um, it's called Dirty John. It is produced oh. by the LA Times and Wondery. And it's only six episodes, but it's super good. And it's like, it's just great storytelling. Super well produced. And without spoiling much, it's about a guy who's like, not quite who he says he is. And the process of is it pe- fiction? people figuring that out. No, it's, it is a true story, um, which yes! makes it all the wackier. Um, my but fa- it's my favorite. really, really good. So go listen to that. After you're done listening to this, obviously. I need to think for a second. No, no. You know what? I don't need to think for a second. <laughs> because right now, I'm really into Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to think for another second? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, I've mentioned a lot of podcasts that I really love video games. And I'm a Mario fan. Uh, back from when I was a wee child making up superheroes and (laughs) I got Super Mario Odyssey the day it came out and I started playing it and I got to the last level and then I decided I was going to start a new game a two player game and it erased my game oh this is why you should never have friends and so I started over I started over and I'm still loving it. So, like, even on an angry replay, it's still wonderful. It's bringing up hard ethical questions, like, if I had a hat that could possess people, would I feel okay about that? <laughs> a conundrum, truly. No, no, no. Super Mario, Super Mario Odyssey. It's really fun. The two-player mode is also pretty fun. One person gets to be this hat, and one person gets to be Mario. So, that's it. Um, I have a thing. All right, Kelly, what's your thing? My thing. Um, okay, so, uh, this past weekend was Halloween weekend. Um, when you're listening to it, it will have been a week more than that ago. (laughs) But anyway, Halloween was recently. And, um, I addressed as Princess Carolyn from the show Bojack Horseman. It and was so great. As I was going through the night, um, various people were like, oh, what are you? Some people knew what I was and they were like, yeah. And then other people were like, what are you? And I'd be like, oh, I'm from the show Bojack Horseman. And everyone was like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I heard it's good. I haven't watched it. Okay. Listen to me right now. This is me telling you that you should really watch this show. It's really good. It's really funny. It's really fucked up. Heartbreaking. And heartbreaking. And uh, incredible. Actually, kind of like, like, not like anything I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So it's like super different from what most cartoons, quote unquote, are doing. Most animated shows. Even animated shows for adults. Yeah. Um. It's just doing some really, really interesting things, and I highly recommend it, and probably someone has told you to watch it, 
And what I'm telling you right now is listen to that person that told you to watch it and watch it. And then maybe next year you would recognize my Halloween costume or something. It's okay. Nobody (laughs) knew what my Halloween costume was either. I was disgust from Inside Out and apparently nobody saw that movie. I would have known. Thank you. I was a cat and someone looked me dead in the face and said, are you a cat? (laughs) Okay. So the thing that I'm into. I'm really bad at coming up with these. Okay, so I'm just going to go with what I'm listening to on Audible right now, which is Tiny Pretty Things by, oh my gosh, another name that I'm going to mess up, Sona Charipotra? I have no idea. Good. I have no idea how to say <laughs> that it. sounds right. Can somebody please edit this and make it sound good? Just no. auto-tune it to be the correct yeah. name. <laughs> so it's that would Sona Charipotra. Potra and Danielle Clayton. They wrote it together. But it's the first book in a series of YA books about like a uh, um a Manhattan ballet school. Ooh. So it's like kind of like a uh, gossip girl meets Black Swan and I am so down for it. It's like kind of trash, I'm not going to lie, but it's been like a really fun read or it's been really fun to like listen to because i sometimes i feel like with audiobooks i i prefer lighter reads for audiobooks and then like my more difficult books i prefer to read read um just because i need more time to process them so this has just been a really fun one for me to like listen to on my walk to school or on my runs um and i'm really into black swan and gossip girl so put those XO, two things XO. together and it's xoxo ballet book yeah sweet so there you <laughs> i'm go. sold yeah it's called tiny pretty things you had me at trash um, yeah <laughs> trash ya so good i mean i'm enjoying it so far i'm not done yeah what's on the blog so we're still doing our Riverdale and Are You the One recaps, which if you're uh, not watching these shows, you're missing out on treasures. Just quality two television. Yeah. Highly intellectual, complex. Two of the most critically acclaimed <laughs> shows. I mean, on there TV. are a lot of like nuanced elements and themes happening in both of these programs. So we're here to break it down for you to make sure you get the most out of your viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're here to tell you what Jingle Jangle is, y'all. Yeah. Jingle Jangle. Also, Kelly and I are reviewing Final Girls by Riley Sager. It's up, up there. It's up now. It came out on Halloween, so it'll be up tomorrow for us, but already for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically like a slasher movie made into a novel. So we're going to be telling you about that. And spoiler, we're going to be trashing it a lot, but in yeah. a fun way. In the yeah. best way. In the best way. Um, Fun. Any other bloggy things? Susan wrote a really good piece about American Vandal. Oh, yes. Yes. That's a thing I'm into. <laughs> yes. Dicks. American Vandal. Surprise. The dicks? Mary the penis lover is into American Vandal. <laughs> no. He loves penises, especially drawings of penises. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, it's really good and you should watch it. And that's the gist of the blog post, but it'd be cool if you read the whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it sold me. I really want to watch it now that I read that. So it's so great. Another day, as another soon day. As, you know, I get more time, and I don't have to watch Are You the One multiple times a week. I texted Emily, "You need to watch American Vandal," and she never responded. What wow. you did? I did. That's cool. well. I don't hear. I want to hear it from Susan. <laughs> Emily, you should watch it. Emily doesn't Vandal. like people who identify as weird. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is <laughs> that that weirdo talking to me? Excuse me. Um, next on the podcast. Next on the podcast. Our next mini sode is about Stranger Things 2. <laughs> that was perfect, you guys. Uh, all right, now. Pretty yeah. much the theme song. So that's a mini sode. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys are thinking about it too. I'm only two episodes in right now. I've only I'm watched zero one episode. episodes in. I'm five in. I'm winning the race. Yay! I'm excited yeah. about this. So yeah, I'm loving it so far. And well, I mean, I loved it before it started. It was like it does. It doesn't matter what it what yeah, happens in it. We love it. I know. So, so far, it's not done any wrong for me. So um, yeah, but I would love. We want to hear your thoughts too. So please. Uh, tweet us and facebook us and email us and all of that stuff about stranger things Mm -hmm. okay also next book podcast is one that i picked and i'm just i haven't read it yet but i feel confident that we're all gonna love it because it's time i'm excited it's high time that we loved one of my books and (laughs) yes i agree this one has all the things i like in it it's loosely based on the Charles Manson cult and the mm-hmm. Tate LaBianca murders and the sort of summer leading up to that. But instead of focusing on Manson, it's going to be focusing on the girls, the girls, which is the name of the book yeah. that I didn't say <gasps> by Emma Klein. Um, but yeah. So kind of a reimagining of that uh, with the obsession focused on, someone else and not manson himself so it's got crime it's got cults i love both of those things murder it's got girls i like i like that Mm -hmm. i like all of it Mm -hmm. yeah murder (laughs) all of it murder Mm -hmm. i like a historical Uh, fiction type of thing so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so we are gonna love it and that's that you want to tell us about the giveaway we're doing right now oh shit i do we're doing a giveaway For the girls. And I'm really excited about this one because I want to give people a bunch of crime-themed stuff. And that's what I'm going to do. So, the first, the only two items I'll spoil for you right now that are going to be in that box. It's a copy of The Girls and a copy of Helter Skelter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Helter Skelter is a great book, guys. Mm -hmm. It is, and you deserve it, whoever wins. How do you enter the giveaway? Kelly, I'm so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> all you gotta do, and this is really easy. You might have already even done it. All so you gotta easy. do is just write us a little review on iTunes. Just give us a little review, little rating, little review, and then, mm-hmm. so that we know who you are, the way that you put your name in the hat, so to speak, is just email us your iTunes username, and we'll be like, "Got it. You're entered in the giveaway." And what is our deadline? It is uh, Sunday, November 12th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time is when you need to send us your email by. Um, So if you've already 
rated and reviewed us, all you need to do is email us, tell us what your iTunes username or whatever is, so we know where to find you, and be like, check, yes, you did rate us, and you're not lying to us, trying to get some free shit without doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mary, do you want to announce who won the Born giveaway that we had? Yes, the winner of the Born giveaway <laughs> is Jen! Jen! Hooray! Yeah. Jen, you have won! A copy of Born, a hardcover copy of Born, because it's not and out in paperback. It, it is for all the things that we have said about this book. I gotta say, it is a beautiful book. The book itself, I love this cover. It's gorgeous, yeah. Yes, yeah. it is a beautiful, beautiful, just physical object. So, what else is in the box? Um, also included in the box is a copy of Annihilation, the book I can't Ooh. stop talking about. <gasps> And some other bear-themed goodies. Oh, my God. Bear-themed? Because, you know, I, I love... Bears are my favorite animal, second to cats. I but love I love I love bears. Like, if... I, sometime I want us to do, like, pictures of our spaces online. I think I always like seeing that. And I have bear stuff all in my room. <laughs> uh-huh. I have, like, my desk has a giant piece of art that's a bear. So I just really like bears. They're cool. I think animals. my top three animals that are around my room are cats, pigs, and alligators. It's all dogs all the time over here. So, oh yeah, cats and red pandas over here. Cats and red pandas. Mm-hmm. And unicorns. I mean, trust there are also cats up in my room. Uh, so yes, please find us. On the social media, as Susan said earlier, we are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and The Goodreads. The Goodreads. And you can email us any questions or comments at booksquadgoals at booksquad.inc. I-N-K, like a squid. Also, please visit our website, booksquad.inc. Like a squid. Like a squid. It's ink because the squid has ink in it, and it just kind of like yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. not like a pen, but not like, a pen, like a squid, squid king. Mm-hmm. Yes, you. <laughs> not to be confused with a rat queen or a rat queen, rat, <laughs> rat king. Queen. <laughs> There's a comic book called Rat Queens. Is it about me? Yeah. Thank you.